Hey everyone, welcome back. So today I want to pull on a thread that I brought up briefly last week in the context of talking about Jews of color. And that is the question, are Jews white? I go back and forth on whether this is an important question. It does feel a little self-indulgent at this moment when we should really be focusing our energies on supporting people of color. But I think the question does lead us to talk about important things, so it's worth scratching the surface a little bit here. And I'll say at the outset that I've reached out to a number of friends and acquaintances who are not white, who are Jews of color, to come on this podcast and to share things in a way that I simply can't as an Ashkenazi Jew of European heritage. I didn't get anyone for today, but I'm hopeful that later on this summer I can return to this topic a bit. I've put links to the articles that I talk about today in uh, today's episode on my website. Uh, I'm also posting an excellent article there from one of my closest friends, Ilan Berman, uh, which I encourage you to read. Ilan is a South African Jew, and he has written an exceptional article about his experience viewing the end of apartheid as a teenager and now grappling with race issues here in the United States. He has a lot of great suggestions for how to think about things specifically for the Jewish community, but I think applicable to anyone. So I've posted a link to his article and the others on my website, jewidontknow.com. Head there, scroll down to the blue button for today's episode, and you'll see it listed. So as usual, today is just covering some basics to get us on a decent starting point for understanding where the Jewish community fits into what's going on in our country today. I hope it's helpful. I'm your host, Jason Harris, and this is Jew Ought to Know. I would say to young people that we can do everyone our share to redeem the world. So, are Jews white? It's kind of a loaded question, and it gets very complicated. If you ask the extreme right, the answer is definitely no. Jews are not part of the white race. Indeed, they are the very enemy of the white race. But on the radical left, Jews are white. They are amongst the white supremacist colonialists who use the capitalist system against people of color. They are very much a part of the system of white privilege. I saw a tweet the other day from someone whose Twitter handle describes them as against racism in all forms and had tweeted, watch out, the Jews control everything. To understand how someone can hold both of those thoughts seemingly without contradiction is to understand how the left views Jews in the extreme, which is a newer phenomenon than right-wing anti-Semitism. The right-wing approach to Jews is more familiar to us by way of the Nazis. But back in Russia in 1903, the Tsar's secret agents published and circulated a book called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. It was supposed to be the leaked notes from a clandestine meetings of Jews in which they plotted how to take over the world. It was a complete fabrication, of course, intended to stoke anti-Semitism in the Russian Empire, but the material was compelling, and it was believed by a great many people. Here in the United States, it was read with great enthusiasm by the famous car maker Henry Ford. In 1920, he bought and distributed 500,000 copies under the title The International Jew. Eric Ward is the executive director of the Western State Center, which, amongst other really important activities, works against the spread of white nationalism. In 2017, he wrote an article called Skin in the Game, where he laid out how anti-Semitism fuels white supremacy. He writes about the protocols of the elders of Zion as the blueprint of anti-Semitism in its modern form. Recasting, he wrote, 
the shape-shifting, money-grubbing caricature of the Jew from a religious caricature to a racialized one. And we know what followed in the extreme form of Nazism. Here in America, there was an added nuance. The civil rights era saw a reactionary movement to establish a white supremacist state. Eric Ward writes that the civil rights movement posed a problem for white supremacist ideology. How could it be that the, quote, inferior race of blacks, unquote, managed to topple Jim Crow all by themselves? And adding to that, how could feminists have upended the patriarchy? How could the LGBT community have secured more rights? How could the Muslims make gains, the leftists, a black man, get elected president? White nationalism came up with an answer, as Eric Ward explains it. He writes, quote, Some secret cabal, some mythological power, must be manipulating the social order behind the scenes. White people were being brainwashed by this secret group on behalf of all these minorities. How else to explain why white people supported and voted in favor of civil rights-related policies? This nefarious outfit behind the scenes controlled the media and the banks and the schools and the government. It was, of course, the Jews. In the view of white supremacist ideology then, the Jews were their own separate race, helping all the other races. And here's where it gets weird. In this view, the other races, especially black Americans, they're inferior, right? We've all heard that viewpoint. But for white supremacy to tell this story about the Jews, the Jews aren't inferior. They can't be. They have to be superior. Since there's no way the, quote, inferior races could have pulled this off, they must have had support from a superior race. So in order for white supremacy to work, in order to eliminate the inferior races, you first have to get rid of the Jews, since they are the enablers. That's why, as Eric Ward tells us, the core of white supremacy isn't racism, it's anti-Semitism. Though really, it's a semantic difference, because in this instance, anti-Semitism is racism, because the Jews are seen as a separate race. And how does this manifest itself? Well, we've all seen it. It's the neo-Nazis chanting, Jews will not replace us at the Charlottesville rally a few years ago. It's acts of violence against Jews and Jewish institutions from self-proclaimed white nationalists. So to get to the question, are Jews white? Well, for the white nationalists, amongst whose ranks sit some of the most influential and powerful officials in the United States government today, the answer is absolutely not. They can't possibly be. Which brings us to the left, where at the radical and activist edge you find the insistence that Jews are white. And as a starting point, we can say that this belief rests on two connected pillars, white privilege and Israel. For the left, Jews enjoy the privileges of being white. They aren't targeted by the police, they aren't discriminated against by the color of their skin. When I walk down the street, no one knows from my appearance that I'm Jewish, and in America that conveys a great deal of what we call privilege. I enjoy the benefits of whiteness, regardless of whether I see myself in those terms. But beyond that is the notion that Jews are part of the white power structure that makes up American society. It goes beyond just the privilege of skin color to see Jews as part of the white establishment, as having benefited from the white capitalist structure to a degree that other minorities have not. 
Taking that to the logical extreme, you get that tweet from the anti-racist who insists that Jews control all the levers of power. That Twitter user equates being anti-racist with fighting the white establishment. And since Jews in this view are in cahoots with the white establishment, indeed might be the driving force behind it, it makes sense for that Twitter user to criticize the Jews as a way to fight racism. That's how they can tweet such a ridiculous contradiction. Jews have power, therefore Jews are part of the mechanism of white supremacy, therefore Jews are white. The other element of this is Israel. Many on the left see Zionism and the Jewish state as an extension of white European colonialism that brings violence and exploitation to the indigenous population, in this case the Palestinians. For them, Israel is a white apartheid state, even genocidal, because Zionism and the elites of the state generally come from Ashkenazi Jews, Jews who hail from Central and Eastern Europe. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict in this view is seen as essentially racial, with establishment white Israeli Jews on one side and dark-skinned underdog oppressed Palestinians on the other. I talked a little bit about this issue in episode 79, about the Mizrahi Jews and the different Jewish ethnicities that make up Israel. But the argument that some people make is that a Jew who supports Zionism or Israel in any way is supporting white supremacy and is therefore complicit in that phenomenon. It's a different kind of anti-Semitism than the one on the right, but it's no less destructive. You'll see this radical left anti-Semitism manifested especially on college campuses. Not everywhere, but in some places. A few years ago, I was talking to a group of students at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. And here's the problem they were having. A bunch of progressive groups on campus were organizing together for some kind of social justice action. Black student groups, Hispanic ones, LGBT, women's groups, lots of organizations were involved. But Jewish groups were specifically excluded from the effort. Why? Because those Jewish student groups supported Israel. In the view of the progressive student groups then, the Jewish groups had aligned with the enemy. White nationalism, racial antipathy, genocide, all because they supported Israel in some way. Individual Jewish students could participate in the social justice effort, but only if they denounced Zionism and promised not to express their own Jewish pride. While all the other minorities were permitted and encouraged to celebrate their identity, the Jewish students were excluded, since they were considered part of the white power structure. As you can imagine, the students were shocked and very upset. It was a tough place to be. So that's a quick overview, and of course I'm quoting from the extreme edges. A lot of Jews struggle with these distinctions because they don't really see themselves as a race. Jews generally see themselves as a peoplehood, one based on elements of culture, history, ethnicity, and religion. This peoplehood isn't divided by race so much as by inclusion and exclusion. There are Jews and there are non-Jews, and for most of Jewish history, these two categories more or less captured Jews' lived experience. If we consider whiteness to be not just the color of your skin, but your power and status in society, then Jews would point out that for a long time in America, they were most definitely not white. They were sort of functionally white in public because of their skin color. Whenever Congress considered racial legislation, all the way back to the 1700s, Jews were included as part of the free white population. 
There was never a prohibition on Jews marrying white Christians. By 2013, 94% of American Jews identified themselves as non-Hispanic whites in the Pew portrait of Jewish Americans that year. But when you consider that Jews often lived in their own communities, spoke their own language, Yiddish, and were subject to the kind of anti-Semitism that saw them excluded from clubs and universities from what we might call upper-class polite society, well, then Jews were not white. They weren't part of the white majority. Jews can also point not to racial laws, but to other official forms of discrimination, such as the 1924 Immigration Act that kept Jews from coming to America. And of course, there were acts of violence going back through American history as well as more recently, such as the 2018 massacre of 11 Jews at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. Still, Jews did, over time, assimilate, and in part because of the color of their skin, they were able to integrate with a greater ease than nearly any other minority. And it happened really quickly, over a couple generations in the middle of the 20th century. Yiddish fell away, Jews mingled with their neighbors, as they assimilated, they were accepted. The more they were accepted, the more they assimilated. They considered themselves historically persecuted outsiders. But in America, they were so successful at assimilating that they accumulated a great deal of wealth and power, putting them within the establishment. Jews are disproportionately represented in Congress and in other industries, have some of the highest rates of education, and enjoy many of the most significant markers of economic success in America. At the same time, though, Jews still suffer from the highest proportion of religious-based hate crime in America. Not a week goes by without vandalism and destruction of Jewish property, including synagogues and cemeteries. Prior to the coronavirus lockdown, Orthodox Jews were harassed and violently attacked in New York City almost daily. Bomb threats are not uncommon occurrences at Jewish institutions, and of course there are the occasional acts of extreme violence. In other words, Jews felt kinship with America's persecuted minorities because of their own history. But America's minorities increasingly looked at the Jews as white. A lot of Jews, for whom this kind of racial outlook was pretty alien, were often confused and frustrated. Now all this I'm telling you is mostly coming from the experiences of a particular Jewish demographic, the Ashkenazi, Jews whose heritage is from Central and Eastern Europe. The last few years has brought forward a term you're hearing more and more of in the Jewish community these days, Ashkenormative. That is, Ashkenazi plus normative, meaning that things tend to be described from the perspective of Jews of European heritage. The Ashkenazi experience tends to be the default when it comes to Jewish institutions, communal life, ritual practices, and more. And this leaves out another group of Jews entirely, Jews of color. Jews of color were broadly defined in a 2005 study by a San Francisco-based advocacy organization called Behol Lashon. I'll link to them on my website for today's episode. Jews of color include, according to that study, quote, Jews of racially and ethnically diverse backgrounds, including African, African-American, Latino, Asian, Native American, Sephardic, Mizrahi, and mixed-race Jews by heritage, adoption, and marriage, end quote. 
Sephardic Jews are the descendants of Jews who come from Spain and Portugal before they were expelled at the end of the 1400s, and Mizrahi Jews are those from the Middle East and North Africa, anywhere from Morocco to Iraq. How many are there? Well, no one knows for sure, but the working number you see these days is 20%. One in five Jews in the world is a Jew of color. The Jews of Color Field Building Initiative estimates that in the United States, Jews of color number around 1 million, which is about 12 to 15% of the total population. The initiative notes that, quote, more younger people identify as non-white than older people do. This means that the future of American Jewry is racially diverse. End quote. The wider Jewish establishment, again, dominated still by the Ashkenazi, they're in the early stages of really grappling with the enormous impact of this demographic. One of the people that I follow in this space is the African-American Orthodox rabbi who goes by the name Manishtana, who is a wonderful writer and speaker, deeply knowledgeable. You can find lots of videos of him on YouTube. He lays out the kinds of important questions raised by fully including Jews of color in mainstream Jewish life. Don't you think it's time we found out how Jews of color skew religiously, he writes, or learned about their marriage tendencies, such as whether or not to marry within their faith, and if so, whether or not their spouses are Jews of color too? And what are the feelings of Jews of color towards Israel? And about the Holocaust? How many of us identify as LGBTQI? Not only are these questions of statistical and epistemological importance, he says, but they also resonate with real-world relevance through mainstream Judaism as well. The wider Jewish world is in the early stages, like I say, of studying this population and designing new communal structures, systems, and programs to meet their needs. But one thing that is abundantly clear is that what is going on today isn't a matter of Jews watching this happening to someone else and being sympathetic. It's happening within our own community. And by that I mean two things. One, there is racial animosity amongst the Jewish community. Ask an Asian Jew how many times they've been told they don't look Jewish, or ask a black Jew how many times they've been asked if they are really Jewish. And the second point, that it's happening to Jews of color. As far as I know, none of the black Americans killed by the police in recent years were Jewish, but they could have been, for there certainly are black Jews. Imagine the outcry from the Jewish community if the police brutally murdered a young Jew in broad daylight, captured on camera. I think, and I hope, that the more the mainstream Jewish community learns about the experiences of their co-religionists, the more we'll realize that this struggle is all hands on deck. I do hesitate to delve too much further into this topic. As with the rest of mainstream American Judaism, I too am in the early stages of developing my own awareness. I'm wary about coming across as speaking with too much authority or pretending to know more than I do about the unique experiences of Jews of color. I did grow up with a few Jews of color in my community, but I don't remember thinking too much of it, and I don't know if that was for better or worse. I feel like I learned more about Jews of color when I studied and visited Israel than here in the United States. After all, Jews of color aren't a new phenomenon. For example, there have been Ethiopian Jews going back at least 2,500 years. The majority were brought to Israel in the latter half of the 20th century. And although Israel has made great strides at integrating them to much success, 
there remains the same kinds of racial tensions there that are familiar to us in America, including housing and jobs discrimination, police brutality, access to educational opportunities, and on. No one is immune. I also want to be careful about putting too much of a hard divide between Ashkenazi Jews of European descent and, well, everyone else. I recently read a thoughtful article by Kylie Unel, a student at New York University. She has a white mother and a black father. She worries the term Jews of color, she says, designates a portion of the Jewish population is different from the rest. As a biracial Jew, she writes, quote, I choose not to overanalyze the fact that my skin is slightly darker than parts of my family or the people in my community. That does not matter. I have no unique traditions because of my skin color. I was born and raised an Ashkenazi Jew, and I plan to do the same thing for my children that my mother did for me. Teach them that we are more than any label cast onto us by others or any label that we put on ourselves. Unquote. She too notes that the Jewish world is changing, and that is, she writes, people who look like me are becoming the face of the typical Jew more and more by the day. So when we look at the totality of Jewish history, we see a people who have been scattered to all corners of the world. This makes them today a multiracial, multiethnic, multinational people with a variety of historical experiences. The question of whether Jews are white here in America has a lot of variables. Are we talking skin color, privilege, power, and status, political orientation? Does it depend on circumstance? And who gets to decide? What does it mean for the entire Jewish community if some of us are quote-unquote white, but others are clearly not? The sages tended to ascribe bad things happening to the Jews to internal divisions. When the Jews were set against each other, the temple was destroyed. But when the Jews were unified, there was no end to their achievements. Solidarity is a theme that runs through the Jewish historical narrative. And so the Jewish community is really on all sides of today's issues. We have Jews that can be considered white, and we have Jews who are of color. Jews find themselves simultaneously in both communities. As I said last episode, these issues of racial justice can't be reduced to a question of how the Jewish community can best cooperate with the black community, because racial justice, or the lack thereof, is embedded within the lived experiences of many Jews. Jewish solidarity means for the entire Jewish community to internalize these experiences, and to stand with each other in the fight for a better world. Well, as usual, I've only scratched the surface, and I'm sure I've missed some important nuances here. But I do encourage you, as I am doing, to keep reading. And especially, of course, perspectives from Jews of color and others in this space, because I don't want to claim that I am speaking for people who I am clearly not speaking for. In the meantime, this issue is not going away, and I'm going to try to return to this topic later this summer. But for now, I do want to get us back to our regularly scheduled programming, which means the next episode is picking up again with Israeli history. The capture and trial of Adolf Eichmann ushered Israel into the 1960s and Israel's teenage years, from accomplishments in the Hebrew language to developing water resources to new terrorists and super-secret spies. There's a lot happening. All quite interesting. At least I think so. 
The music today was from black classical music composers. Nothing to do particularly with Judaism, but I found an interesting article about several black composers in the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. So you heard today Joseph Boulogne, Samuel Coleridge-Taylor, and Florence Price. Thanks for listening, everyone. Lahitraot. See you later.